0: Welcome to Straight White American Jesus. My name is Brad Onishi, faculty at the University of San Francisco. Here today, coming from Dallas, Texas. Actually, I, no, let me back up, Dan. I'm going to get a lot of emails. I'm actually here from Fort Worth, Texas. But in one big metroplex these days, they, they connect and they're just there's no more in between. So coming to you
1: from Fort Worth, Texas, along with my co-host. I am Dan Miller, professor of religion and social thought at Landmark College. I am not in Fort Worth. I am in Massachusetts and yeah, people will remember I went to college in Oklahoma and so there were a lot of DFW area students and like yeah, it can get uh it can get pretty uh pretty territorial if you like if you if you misstate it. Um so don't don't get it wrong, Brad. Um you know, we want to see you back yeah. happy and and not have people hold you hostage cuz, you know, they demand that you make reparations for wrong pronunciation of like which state you're in or which, uh, which part of the state, so
0: yeah. Last night at dinner, I made the mistake of asking uh, the, the waiter if they had uh, iced tea and everyone at the table laughed at me and told me, honey, you're in Texas. Sweet tea comes out of the, the faucet sometimes. So, uh, so that was good by me. Yeah. So that's happening. And anyway, so that is, that's a thing and uh, here to talk with the Metroplex atheists and about uh, keeping God out of public schools and uh, there's a lawsuit and a whole thing. So it's a really fun event, but it it should be a good day. So that's why I'm here and uh, doing what I'm doing. Um, I want to point out to you one more thing, Dan, and that is that I'm staying at a Radisson. It's a nice place. It has its own disco. Like, I'm talking about its own nightclub, Dan. It's incredible. Have you ever been to a Radisson with its own nightclub? Like, people were in there cutting a rug. Like, and I don't even know who says cutting a rug other than my grandma. I don't even know why I just said that. But people were in there dancing when I got back from dinner and, you know, having a great time dancing to Beyonce and all kinds of stuff. It was amazing. I don't know. I've never been to a Radisson that had its own disco. So... I just kind of feel like this is one of those moments when I know I've made it. Like, you know what I mean? Like I can tell my children someday, like, yes, I had this podcast and I stayed at a Radisson with a disco. Those were the days I was really rolling.
1: You know what I mean? I don't know. Is that, what do you think? So, uh, you know, me and the nightclub scene, I'm pretty tight with it. Um, so I, I think you're right. I know I've, I've never been, I've never been in a, a Radisson with it. So this This is true. you're talking to somebody who like in two weeks, is going to a concert to see like Rob Zombie and Alice Cooper. so um yeah the the, the nightclub thing it, it doesn't I'm, I'm not I'm not a nightclub star, but no, actually i've never been I don't think I've ever been in any hotel as like its own nightclub, so I think you have made it. I think we I guess we just need to close up shop. There's nowhere to go but down uh, from here uh, as Brad does his like tour of Texas Radissons
0: i. I just feel like what I hope someday is you and I are at a Radisson with a, a disco together someday, and we go in, and while everyone's dancing to like Beyonce and everything else, you request Rob Zombie, and the DJ looks at you like, "What did you just say?" I, that is that is something I hope will
1: happen. I, I try to. Will Will it go over well if I try to start like a mosh pit like in a in a nightclub, or is that that's probably going to get me in trouble? I think. And I will also do that thing where, like, middle-aged guys forget that they're middle-aged guys, and you jump in there and, like, immediately, like, I won't won't even break anything. I'll just, like, pull a hamstring. And people be like, well, how'd you pull your hammy? I'm like, yeah, I was uh, trying to mosh, and I can't now because I'm old. That's that's what I'll do. And all we have to do to have another live event is tell people that I'm (laughs) in a nightclub. I think people would come just to watch.
0: I, th- I think that's a good plan. We did a live event in Denver last November, and I think next year we're going to do a live event in Fort Worth at this Radisson at a disco. So everybody, details coming soon. Get your hotel reservations. We'll we'll block it off. I, you'll you'll need to reserve a room under uh, the code Rob Zombie, and uh, it'll be good. All right. If Rob Zombie's listening, please don't sue us. We're just having fun. I don't know if that's it. We're going to get emails from Rob Zombie's lawyer right now, but I hope not.
1: Okay, let's focus. This just just promoting. His music, yeah. (laughs) All right. We want to talk about,
0: uh, I think, three things today. One is the GOP debate of Trump not being there, as well as what happened there. Something we're going to call trickle-down Trumpism. Uh, I think we'll also get into uh, just horrific news this week uh, out of California, my home state, uh, of a woman who was shot uh, allegedly over the display of a pride flag at one of the stores that she owns. And then at the end, we'll talk about something up in Spokane, which is the mayor, uh, Nadine Woodward, who appeared on stage with none other than Sean Foyt, who I know most of you listening know about, but also Matt Shea, who's an infamous former legislature, legislator and pastor in the area. And uh, we'll talk about why that's such a big deal. So, Dan, um, let me uh, jump in here and talk about um, uh, the... GOP debate, and let's get into some of that. So do you want to, um, well, first of all, let me just, Paul, I'm gonna throw it to you, but I just wanna say about the GOP debate, when I turned it on, um, I, you know, you and I do this kind of every week, we're pretty, pretty saturated with politics and I turned it on and even I was like, who is that again? Wait, who is that guy, Bergen? Okay, good. Oh, yeah, that's H- Asa Hutchinson. Yep, I remember him from Arkansas. Okay, that's that guy. Is Scott Bayo here? All right, no, no Scott Bayo. All right, maybe Kevin Sorvo. Who are these people? So uh, it was one of those nights. Anyway, uh, so I'll let, I'll take it to you. What are some thoughts on the debate? We both have things. Trump was not there. Trump was talking to, to Tucker Carlson, so we'll get into that. But uh, off to you. What's up? What's up with you in the GOP debate? I,
1: I'll just pick up with that. You know, and I'm not the first one to say this. Lots of people have said it, you know, they always do the who won the debate kind of thing. And, and as much as debates are debates now, like regardless of where they are in the political spectrum, right? It's just people trying to kind of score points on each other, but like everybody kind of agrees. And I think they're right too, that like the, the sort of looming presence in the debate was the person who wasn't there. Right. It was Trump. It was everybody. I, I I've never seen a presidential Primary like this, where everybody's afraid to criticize, like the candidate that they they want people to vote against, right? Like, um, you had Chris Christie, who's the only one who really sort of consciously or vocally said something anti Trump or was taken as anti Trump, gets booed. Um, everybody sort of says that they'd support, you know, ongoing support for Trump and so forth. And like a lot of other people have said, Trump was kind of the big winner in this, right? In in any debate, everybody knows the person who's leading has the least to gain uh from, from being in a debate. And Trump's not unique in being in the position of deciding not to participate or or doing that. Most candidates end up doing it because they kind of feel like they they have to. Of course, that doesn't hold to Trump, but I think that was the the big one is just how present Trump was, despite the fact that he's absent. I, I still like I just think like, I still can't fully get my head around why in the world people would vote for you if you won't say that your opponent is somebody that like you're going to do a better job than or something like I, I just I don't know. I don't know if they're just running down the clock and hoping that he tanks because of legal stuff or what. But uh, that was a piece. And then I think the other one, I'll throw it over to you to lead us on it, is the the tri- trickle down Trump is, excuse me, trickle down Trumpism like you're talking about, again, he was present there because so many of, I think not just the policies or the positions or the attitudes in the GOP, but the articulation of it and the rhetoric of it and the kind of militaristic, hyper-masculine, just whatever uh, kind of rhetoric is so prevalent and so common in the GOP now. And I think that that is a Trump effect. Yeah, let's talk about that. So we have this
0: situation where Trump doesn't attend, and Ruth ben Giat, who wrote Strong Men, many of you n- will know uh, who Ruth is, uh, had a great tweet and explanation of that. Uh, she says, Trump's not there because dictators don't debate. If you wanna be an autocrat, you don't debate. You are just supposed to be the leader. You have authority inherently. Uh, it comes from many, you know, from heaven, it comes from the divine, it, it, it is whatever, but you don't need to debate because you're not there to show that you're one of the best candidates. You are the candidate. And I think that's something we should take away from Trump not being there. How can you be a viable presidential candidate if you won't debate the issues? That seems like a fair question. Well, the answer is I am the candidate who is chosen by God as an inherent right to be uh, the leader because that's who I am. I don't, And he even said it in his interview with Tucker Carlson, why would I get on stage with a bunch of people who have no business running for president? And you're like, dude, you've been indicted four times. A judge decided in the, that you sexually assaulted E. Jean Carroll. You are uh, the only president to be impeached twice and you incited an insurrection. What right do you have to run for president? And yet he's turning it around on everyone else. So I think that's something to keep in mind. The very fact that Trump would not debate is not normal. Just don't don't lose sight of that, okay? That's one. Two, as you said, Dan, most of the folks, uh, Christie and a little bit of Hutchinson aside, would say nothing negative about him. When asked, would you vote for Donald Trump even if he's convicted for crimes, the majority of the stage raised their hand and said yes. So there was this fealty to Trump. And as you said, Dan, there was this, lack of a desire to criticize him. And it almost just felt like a group of people thinking, well, if he gets arrested and put away, or if he just flames out or something happens, and then hopefully they'll pick me, right? I mean, it almost felt like there's no way for me to beat him. There's no way for us to actually usurp him. So let's just hope that he's out of the picture. And if he's out of the picture, hopefully I'll be the guy who they pick. I'll give you an example of this. I'm a surfer. And when you're out there surfing, there's a there's a very uh delicate and uh ritualized order of who gets what wave. Okay. And 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 I won't go into it. But if you're surfing and you know the rules, you know that when a when a good wave comes, you know that somebody in a certain position has the 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 uh the right-of-way. And you better not like take the wave if they're already on it, because they're going to be pretty upset and you're going to break surfer code and it's a whole thing, right? Fist fights happen, blah, blah, blah. All right, why do I say that? I say that because one strategy that you can use as a surfer is like sit in a certain position, hope that the person with the right-of-way wipes out, doesn't get the wave, messes up, and then you jump on and you take the wave when they uh, are no longer available to get it because they wiped out or messed up or something else. I felt like that's what was going on at the Republican Debate is they're just waiting for Trump to kind of wipe out, and then maybe they'll ride the wave of GOP support. All right, I want to I to talk about two more things related to this, and I'll throw it back to you. the The Trumpism was there not only in their fealty to him, but also in the ways that a lot of the candidates discuss the issue. So I'll just go over a couple so that we don't spend all day on this. One is, Ron DeSantis says on day one he will use troops in Mexico. not at the border, in Mexico. If you go back to 2016, Dan, Trump really, if you go back to that terrible year of 2016 that I know none of you listening want to do and I'm not asking you to, but if you did, you would find that Trump's meteoric rise in the GOP primary came when he started talking about the border. I mean, he said all the time in 2016, you guys weren't even talking about this until I came on. You guys weren't even talking about this until I showed up. What happens... Years later, two cycles later, his leading rival is talking about invading Mexico in an act of war on the first day of his, uh, of his, uh, you know, imagined presidential term. Dan, this is what happens when you platform yeah. a radical. It trickles down. Ron DeSantis, I will invade Mexico. That's an act of war. What are you talking about? Okay. Second, number of the candidates, including Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis said they would get rid of the Department of Education. Now we've heard this before, but I just wanna reiterate, this is an extreme position. So you're telling me you're gonna get rid of the Department of Education, right? We're talking about like 200,000 federal employees, or also just talking about having standards for the ways that our students learn, having an agency that oversees that and does not allow runaway states or runaway actors to kind of go rogue in the most egregious senses. It, yeah, it's a radical position to say, you wanna get rid of the Department of Education, especially in a context where, as we've covered on this show, we have Oklahoma funding with taxpayer money, a Catholic school. We have Texas trying to put the 10 commandments in schools. We have Idaho saying that coaches and teachers uh, might be able to pray in front of their students at practice or in the classroom. When we have books being banned, LGBTQ uh, teachers being run out, the teacher of the year in Idaho leaving the state because she feels like she can't teach there anymore. So the Department of Education, that's a radical position. And I'll give you one more and then I'll shut up. Vivek Ramaswamy says full out that Climate change is a hoax. He looks into the camera and says, climate change is a hoax, Dan, okay? This, if you compare the GOP to political parties across the the, the developed world, right? If you talk about the countries that are supposedly our, uh, our colleagues or peers on the world stage, right? We can talk about Japan. We can talk about Germany. We can talk about the UK, France wherever. The idea to just come out and say climate change is a hoax is one of the most radical positions a mainstream political party takes in the context of the global developed world. There are people in Germany that might say that. And you know what, Dan, they get very little support okay, compared to the, the, the GOP. And I just I, I, I just want to take a minute and Bear with me, Dan, and I, I promise I'll keep this short. I wasn't here last week. I want to thank you. I didn't thank you at the top for, for going solo last week. I really appreciate that. But what I hear, did not have a chance to say is this. A couple of weeks ago, the fire hits Maui. Maui is the place where my family uh, immigrated to from Japan uh, four or five generations ago. It means an immense amount to us as a family. Uh, Maui is, an, is in essence, um, the place where our American story uh, began. Uh, Maui's a place for my dad who was born and raised there um, that you know, he doesn't live there anymore, but I'm telling you when he wakes up in the morning, the first thing he thinks about is Maui. That's what Maui means to him. It's really hard to explain to y'all who aren't following this every day what the fire in Maui has, it, 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 the impact it's going to have on, on that community for not just... The next month, not the next year, for the next generation. In addition, uh, Dan, we are having a baby and that baby's coming soon. So some of you didn't know that big news, I know, probably going to be trending on Twitter here in a minute, but uh, we had a baby shower last week, Dan. So in the wake of um, the Maui news, my family in Southern California was dealing with a hurricane. So a lot of the folks who might've made the drive up to where I live now to attend their baby shower did not come because I don't know, there was a hurricane in Southern California. My dad lives in Palm Springs now. And he, as many of you may know, lived in an area that was dramatically affected by the hurricane and he wasn't there. You know where he was, Dan? He was on a road trip to Northern California, trying to see friends. at the Oregon-California border. But guess what? He couldn't see his friends. You know why? Raging wildfires. So I, you know, you and I on this podcast, we don't usually have choice words. We don't go on rants full of expletives and things. And so I'm not going to do that today. But the things that I feel when Vivek says that on the stage, when Ramaswamy says that on the stage, are immense rage. Because it is not just... uh an unpopular policy position. It is not just a, a clear way for a man who did not vote in the previous elections, who seems to be uh, trying to kind of uh, do a flash in the pan ride to fame uh, here in, in his election bid. Uh, it's not just a way for him to get the spotlight. It is, it is and I'm gonna to try to stay calm here, It is really, really cruel when you think about the people in Maui who are still trying to pick up the pieces of a community that vanished in an instant. When there's a hurricane, when there are fires, when uh, Washington State, when the Midwest is under a heat advisory of 105 for the next week, and this man has the gall to look at the camera and say, climate change is a hoax. I'm going to stop. I'm going to say all the expletives and things I want to say in my head, and I'm going to throw it to you for your thoughts on trickle down Trumpism before we go to something else.
1: Yeah, so I want to just pick up on a couple of those, a couple of things that I think are are linked here, right? Because one is the extremism, I and mean, you're right about the you know the Department of Education, and of course the one, one obvious piece of this is that part of the reason they don't want a Department of Education to stop, as you say, runaway states, is because they're all like governors and leaders and supporters of runaway states like Florida, or you rattle off a, a few things. I, I think uh, Arkansas as well just said that they uh, were not going to uh, recognize credit for the the AP Black History course, the same course that was targeted yeah. by DeSantis in Florida, right? So that's a piece of it. But part of it, if people are like, why the extremes? I mean, just, just a fact to think about is that since 1988, okay, the GOP has won one popular presidential vote, right? They won the popular vote for president one time. Uh, it was, uh, it, it was uh, two, uh, not 2000, 2004, uh, when uh, George W. Bush uh, won his second term, right? That's it. They're, they're not good at Bush. President yeah, uh, they're, they're Bush not Kerry. It was Bush Kerry.: It was Bush Kerry, Thank you. Uh, and the last pre- uh, GOP president before him was his father uh, after Reagan, uh, after Reagan's two terms they have to become more and more and more extreme. And again, I don't see this as Trump invented this. He didn't invent it, but he he brought it up from the, you know, from the depths. He brought it out in the open. And this is why for me, things like the election denial and everything else, number one, they make sense. There's a certain logic to this. We can't win an election if we're the GOP on on sort of even ground in a presidential election. So we'll we'll say that it was fake. We'll say that it was stolen, whatever. But it's also going to push us to more and more far extremes. And we've talked about this for years too. And you see the culmination of it now. They are so beholden to the far right and a shrinking electorate, right? An aging white population. And so they, they just have to get more and more and more radical to keep those people on board. They can't lose them because if they lose them, they, they have really nobody to vote for them. And so you get this this kind of cycle where they're caught in these radical positions, even if even if they didn't believe them. And people ask you I know they ask you they ask me you know do they really believe this? Do they just say it? Do they whatever? We brought this question and posed it to our panelists at our Denver event, and the short answer is it doesn't matter because the effects are the same, <laughs> right? Um, and want to bring that up? I bring that up because I think. Uh, Ramaswani statements are the same kind of thing because people also, and I've seen in in the wake of that, lots of people posting things and writing, you know, why are people drawn to believe these conspiracy theories and so forth? And one answer is, and this this is going to sound weird, we think of conspiracy theories so often in terms of belief, right? People get really wrapped up in the, how can they believe these things? And the data says this, and how can they ignore, Brad, all the evidence that you're giving, right? The hints of like changing climate patterns and events all over the U.S., not to mention the rest of the globe. And the answer is it feels good to believe it. It feels good. It feels comforting to believe that not that humans screwed up the planet it's going to be really hard to try to fix it, not we have supported the West, the U.S., countries like this for generations, laissez-faire economic policies that despoil the planet and And not because that stuff also gets us wrapped up in all kinds of stuff uh, that we also don't want to talk about on the right, about colonialism and race relations and um, (laughs) arguably why a response to what's going on in Maui is more muted when it's, uh, you know, it's far away and people don't even realize it's part of the U.S. Or there are lots of non-white people uh, who live in Hawaii, including native Hawaiians, right? All of these kinds of things. It feels so much better. To say, you know, it's a hoax. And then I can just sleep well at night and I can feel good about it. And this, this is what the GOP is pandering to. And I think this is part of why people have to recognize how potent this is because there are a lot of Americans that it just feels better to feel all these things. It feels better to be angry all the time than to be scared. It feels better to, to know that, you know, if I'm nervous around people of color, they, they kind of scare me, they kind of make me nervous. My kids are learning stuff in history classes I didn't learn. It's a lot easier to just be angry about that and shut it out than it is to have to look in a mirror and take a look and say, wow, like, God, what if all the stuff my teachers told me wasn't the way it is? (laughs) I I, I, obviously I can go on about this forever, but I think that that's for me, I guess I'm trying to get which is for me, the emotion that I think all of this ties into that's on display in the debate, uh, that's on display in the election, that's on display in this kind of ramping up of rhetoric which will jump me I'll go ahead and jump to the next topic then if we're talking about a, a you know emotion here which is the role of abortion in the debate I thought was really significant um, and CNN and others have had really good sort of summaries and you know they summed it up well it, it would take a while to go through every candidate and try to pin down what they've said but they're kind of all over the map right some candidates were like you know 15 week federal abortion ban is what we should do some said they were opposed to a nationwide ban uh, some have been in states that have enacted six week bans, but like nobody was really willing to say whether or not they actually support that at a federal level or if they would as president and so forth. but I think what it what it highlights, and this is another piece is where the g o p is still caught between at least kind of three three polls here: one is that same group on the far right who are so adamantly opposed to any any form of abortion that they have to take radical positions as you hammer all the time, a majority, around two-thirds of Americans in general, approve favor some form of abortion access, right? And then the ones who don't know whether they support a federal ban or whether all that rhetoric they had about states' rights for decades was true, and they don't know what to do. And I think that was on full display. And I was struck this week thinking about that. There was a, a CNN article. I want to give them credit for this. They had a they were interviewing uh, Republican voters uh, in Iowa, right? People know the Iowa caucuses are early in the election calendar, uh, or the primary calendar, really, really important, uh, you know, sort of front runner status can come and, and things like that if you can win that. So it's a significant political state. And this was ahead of the debate, but it highlighted it. And I'm going to read a couple of things from the CNN interviews. <clears throat> One person they talked to was a, a woman named uh, Lisa McGaffey, and they asked her if she'd ever voted for a Democrat. And her response, they said there was, quote, no pause. And she said, oh, heavens, no. Oh, no. There's no abortion. They have to have a chance to grow up. They have to have the chance. You never know who that's going to be, right? Immediately goes into there can't be abortion. That's why I won't vote Democratic, period, full stop. That's the only issue. But then they interviewed a suburban woman, right? And we know, right, the GOP and the issue with suburban white women. And we've seen the impact that this has uh, since SCOTUS struck down Roe v. Wade. Um, they interviewed a woman named uh, uh, Betsy Sarcone, And what she said um, is, I don't believe in abortion. She, she's an anti-abortion. She said, but she thinks that these other laws are too restrictive. She says, I agree with the time limit. I've had three babies grow inside me. I agree when you feel them kicking, and you feel them moving, that's in my heart is a time when uh, a cutoff to access would be, which is around say like 18 weeks, something like that typically. So here's a woman with a much more moderate position, a position, by the way, I'll just throw out for the, the heck of it, that uh, there are lots of religious traditions that don't say that life begins at conception. It begins at what they call quickening, right? When you begin to feel the baby move and things like that, that sounds like that. But then they talked to a businessman in a city uh, in Iowa who basically said, he said, I'm a pro-life guy, but I think it's a losing issue for Republicans. He wants them not to talk about it. So you have this muddle. We've seen what a liability it is for the GOP. I think a lot of strategists are like, why doesn't the GOP just stop talking about abortion? But they can't because they have these different constituencies. And the last thing I'll say about this is that Ronna McDaniel, the, the head of the National uh, Republican Committee, um, if i'm getting the the name of that right i always get that one mixed up with the democratic one but whatever she tries to spin this model into a positive and says you know i think it's great that our candidates are talking about abortion we can't win if we don't talk about abortion you're like your candidates aren't talking about abortion they're just they're just swimming in circles trying to see what can resonate with the most people and see where they land so th- this was another issue but i think it highlights so many things, including the emotion, including the conspiracies, whether it's the notion that everybody who favors abortion access somehow hates babies and small humans uh, and everything else. But that was another another piece of the debate that really stuck with me is that this long after the SCOTUS decision, I don't feel like the GOP has made any substantive progress in being able to talk about this. And, and as somebody who's really opposed to the contemporary GOP, I think that that's a good thing. And I think it also shows how much they've never had a plan for what they would do or what they wanted. They've just been opposed to an abstraction that they could call abortion or abortion on demand without any of the nuances that they now have to deal with.
0: Uh, You know, I have a two-year-old and she has moments when she's overwhelmed like toddlers and throws a tantrum and she often will, I'm trying to figure out why are you crying? Why are you yelling? What do you want? Do you want, you know, you're, stuffed animal? Do you want your milk? Do you want, you know, what do you want? And she often just pointed stuff wildly. And I think in her mind, not even in her mind, in her body, her overwhelmed system, she's just like, oh, if, if, if we go over there, you give me that thing, I'll actually calm down and be happy. And guess what, Dan, when I, when I give her that thing, she's still upset because they didn't fix it. And I just think the GOP has been throwing a temper tantrum for a long time uh, somebody actually gave them the stuffed animal that they thought would fix it, which was overturning Roe, and now they're, A, not happy. It feels a lot better to be angry than it does to be content. And they're still like, oh, what do we do now? We don't know. We have no idea. All right, let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back and talk about uh, the uh, the just really tragic news out of California this, this week uh, when it comes to a shop owner being killed. Be right back. All right, Dan, I'm going to throw it to you to take us through the details here. Um, But, uh, you know, this this is something that comes directly from the GOP debate, if you ask me, because you have people on that stage like Ron DeSantis and others who are spending their political careers demonizing the LGBTQ community when it comes to uh, a rhetoric in our ethos that says that if you are LGBTQ, if you are a gay person, you are inherently a groomer. If you are a bisexual person, a lesbian person, a pansexual person, a trans person, you're a pedophile, you're gross, you're something. When we have that kind of rhetoric in our midst, coming not only from Tucker Carlson and Matt Walsh, but from Ron DeSantis and other politicians who are running to be leaders in our country, you're going to get things that
1: happen that are tragic because people are going to take you up on it. So I'll throw it to you to take us through that. Yeah. So a lot of people will be familiar with this. Uh, as you say, really upsetting story. Also illustrates a point that you make all the time, right? Living in a big state like California that you know, people see California, blue state, everybody in California is a bunch of liberals. And of course, that's not how it works. Uh, and, and this was a, a case that illustrated this. Um, and people know that it was, it was a woman who was killed for displaying a pride, a pride flag. Um, her name was Lori uh, Carlton. She was 66, uh, and she was killed outside a boutique. uh, It was her boutique. It was her store, uh, and she would display a pride flag. And the motive seems very, very straightforward here. Uh, There was a young man, I think 27 years old, uh, who tore down the flag. And this was not a first-time event. Uh, Family members and others have said, uh, that the flags were torn down repeatedly, and she always like would come back with a bigger flag, like you know. And and she was adamant that she was not going to remove her flag or stop flying the pride flag at her business. So she comes out, she confronts this guy, and he yells, according to uh, deputies um, who responded, quote, many homophobic slurs at her, uh, made quote several disparaging remarks about the flag, uh, and ultimately shot her. Uh, he shot her fled, had a shootout with deputies, uh, and died uh, as a result of that. Um, so really, really tragic things that I think were notable, a lot of things that are, are notable about this. But one is that um, she, uh, by all accounts, was not a queer person herself. She was an ally. Um, she was married to, uh, to a guy for 28 years. And I understand, obviously, people like two by people can be married and still be queer, right? Being married to a guy, if you're a woman, doesn't make you not gay. But according to family members and friends, that wasn't her. She was just an ally who believed strongly in equality for the LGBTQ plus community and was doing what she could to stand up for that. Um, And I was really struck by this because one of the realities is if you're not queer or you can pass as not queer, you can hide yourself or you can choose not to be visible as an ally in a way and sort of protect yourself. If you're a a queer person that people can read as a queer person, you're a risk, right? You're always there on display and you can't turn it off. Just like if you're a person of color and you can't pass as white, you're marked as a person of color. And if somebody has animus toward you, there's nothing you can do to like not be black or not be Pacific Islander or whatever your ethnicity is. This was a person who I think stuck to her convictions and it ultimately led to her death. And I'm not suggesting that people should go out, should have to be willing to die uh, to do these things, but I, I think I don't know. It feels heroic to me to 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 note this about her, right? That this this person, her, she took allyship so seriously. Um, but then the point I want to go to is the same point that you've made uh, that you introduced a minute ago, which is, you know, we'll hear the news. This is shocking. This is appalling. This all true. It's not surprising. Uh, this is part of mainstream rhetoric on the right and has been for decades. The flag itself, the the very existence of the pride flag. First, sort of took shape, I think, in 1978. So it's been around for a long time. It's long been a target by people on the right, and the trope of queer people as groomers, as sexual predators, has been reinvigorated, uh, focused primarily on trans and non-binary folks, Uh, but it carries to the 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 whole community, right? Um, And so when we hear this again, my response, sadly, is, "Well, yeah, it was going to happen." Like you cannot. Say that these people are a threat to children, that they're going to you know, overthrow America, that they're going to do all of these things and be surprised when somebody takes action uh, against them, right? And one of the things that, that struck me about this, I talked about conspiracy theories a minute ago. As I said, I said before, I did some teaching on conspiracy theories last term, so they're kind of in my head. But one of the, the interesting things I came across that I think absolutely makes sense is when people say like, why do people buy into conspiracy theories? How do they stick, right? Some do and some don't. One of the things that, that some people say is it helps if you attack something sacred, right? Or if you create a threat of somebody's attacking something sacred, the children is a kind of secular sacred in America, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be obviously opposed to children or threaten children. And so you hear this all the time, right? So I'm, I'm again, quoting from some other things uh, that summarize some of this, but people might remember that in June, right, you had the Biden administration ra- rais- raising a pride flag. And on Fox News, you had the, the headline that said, White House flew controversial new transgender flag that promotes grooming and pedophilia, say critics, right? It was removed. And and that's the slippery thing, right? We talk about in the code, code words. If you want to get away with something, it's the some people say, or I've heard people say that, right? Say critics, right? So Fox News could be like, well, we're not the ones saying it. We're saying that critics say it. We know that that's bogus. Uh, they said that. Or after this event, uh, after this, this, this murder... Um, a right-wing activist uh, named Kaya uh, Rachik was asked uh, about, you know, her response to this because uh, she's had nearly 2.5 million TikTok followers that you know have things to say about the flag. And this is what she says: She says, "Imagine walking in your kid's elementary school, and this is what greets you, uh, along with the image of what appear to be teachers and things like that. This is what greets you. What do you do?" Uh, and she ta- and and they said, "Well, does that rhetoric?" Incite violence, right? When she says, What what do you do? With the 27-year-olds, like, I'm gonna go out and kill somebody who flies the pride flag. She said, Why are you comparing anyone who criticizes the progress pride flag being shoved down the throats of children to a violent murderer? Right. And here you got it, right? The children, the appeal to the children. What if you go in your kids' school? They're indoctrinating children. That rhetoric has has real uh, real effects of different kinds. So terrible incident tragic incident not surprising and again if you know i I lay it at the feet of the people who've been using this rhetoric not just now uh and queer activists will rightly point out this is like you know decades of this kind of trope but right at the forefront this this past week yeah it it is nothing
0: new it is not something that uh, anyone who is part of the the community or is paying attention will see as new however Um, This stands out, I think, to us because there's just a direct line here. Uh, Here's a woman who owns a a store, uh, puts up a pride flag, and essentially there's a direct line from, I put up a pride flag and I am killed right outside of my store. That is the America we live in in 2023. Now, again, these acts of violence have been happening against LGBTQ people and their allies for uh, as long as there's been a United States. uh, So please know that we understand that and we know that. What we're trying to do is draw a direct line between the rhetoric being used by leaders and by news outlets, as you highlighted, Dan, and actions. Everything that I have read about the shooter, whose name we're not gonna say, is that he was an incredibly vulnerable uh, man. He was somebody, and by vulnerable, here's what I mean. Um, He'd experienced um, some pretty, uh, elevated levels of economic hardship. Uh, one report I read said that he had been living in his car at one point with his mother, um, did not feel like he had any ground to stand on. At one point, a uh, report I read said he even started a GoFundMe to help his, him and his mother like um, you know, get a place to live and so on. Um, here's my point, Dan. This is a young man trying to find his identity a young person who's trying to find a place in America where he fits in. And what is the, what is the sort of imagined group that he uh, understands himself to be part of? Well, it's an American right that is promoting the idea that if you fly a pride flag, you are advocating for pedophilia. Okay. And you can say, hey, that's not fair. The whole American right, just tell me where, tell me where that's not true. Tell me where The moderate Republicans are who are on the debate stage and would, if we just brought this up, if Dan and I could be the moderators and we could get in front of the eight or 80 or however many candidates were up there the other day, Dan, and say, right, does the pride flag mean pedophilia? Does it mean grooming? Because the pride flag means that you are simply trying, right, to demonstrate, okay, maybe your identity, but also just your Uh, support for and advocacy for a group that has been historically marginalized and unrepresented in the United States. So if you think that the pride flag equals pedophilia as the Fox News headline that you cited read, and as you say, they're going to get out of it by saying critics say, which critics? Why should we listen to them? Why do they matter? You're putting that in a headline and then you're just, it's an out. It's the same thing when people say, I'm just joking right? You state something you think is true, and they say, I'm just joking, and it's your way out, right? It's the same thing with the TikTok star you talked about. Oh, what would you do if this was in your kid's preschool? And yes, there are many people out there that are like, I would take my kid out of that preschool. Okay, that's your choice. There are vulnerable people out there, Dan, who are subject to radicalization. There are people where you talked about conspiracy theories feel good, Conspiracy theories are also a way, right, to build an imagined community of people who believe the same thing and are for the same cause and fighting the same enemy. You have this, and I'm not exonerating him, I'm not saying because he was economically vulnerable that that somehow explains and justifies his act. I'm not saying that, what I'm saying is this. Ron DeSantis from the governor's mansion, right, who, Ron DeSantis the millionaire, Ron DeSantis who, right, is, is taken around in private jets, and in you know uh, uh, governors, uh, detail transportation, and and so on. Somebody who lives an overwhelmingly privileged life in an overwhelmingly powerful position can he get up there and say things he thinks will get him votes or help him win, you know, support in his presidential bid? And guess what? There's going to be people on the margins of society who want to be part of what he's doing. They're going to take up his cause, and they're going to uh, implement that in ways that are tragic and violent and disgusting. And that's what happened here, right? I've said this since Trump ran. I wrote this on Facebook, if you go, I mean, I don't like Facebook very much these days. I don't hang out there much, but like if I go back to my Facebook posts from like 2016, 2018, you know know what I wrote over and over again to the like Trumpists who were on my Facebook feed from my hometown and other places, character matters, rhetoric matters. And you know what? You know who knows this the most? And I'll, I'll throw it to you if you want to wrap this up uh, here in a second. Christians know this the most because, you know, what we heard in church, Dan, every Sunday. Hey, the movies you watch, the music you listen to, they're going to they're gonna influence you. The people in your life, if Dan, when you're 13 and you go to youth group and they, if you hang out with kids who cuss, you're going to cuss. If You hang out with kids who blaspheme God's name, that's going to get in your brain and your heart, and it's gonna influence you. Character matters, rhetoric matters. We, we've been talking all day about a political party where some of its representatives and people running for the highest office in our land are saying, climate change is a hoax. Let's invade Mexico. The Department of Education needs to go. And yeah, if you have a pride flag, you know what that means? It doesn't mean you're an ally. It doesn't mean you're gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans. It doesn't mean, you know what it means? It means you're a pedophile. You say that over and over again, and guess what? It matters, Dan, and it shows up in the ways that this woman uh, is now no longer with us, and that doesn't have to be that way. So any final thoughts before we take a break and then jump into
1: one other thing? Just a a couple. One, I I can hear the emails I'll get now being like, what about the Lincoln Project? And my answer would be, what about the Lincoln Project? Right? I think you hit it on the head when you said, not just show me the moderate Republicans, but show me the moderate Republicans who matter at all Within contemporary American conservatism, and that—that's the issue, right? I guess where I'm going with that is—is is this? This is not a fringe, minor voice. This is the American GOP at this point. If, if and so, I understand the Lincoln Project. Did
0: anyone from the Lincoln Project go? You know, we've had a lot of success over the last five years battling Trumpism. Now, one of us is running for president, and it, does that person on the debate stage? Does someone from the Lincoln Project is? You want to tell him like who was on the debate stage that represents the moderate Republic? Chris Christie. Really? Chris Christie. Who's really just running for president as revenge. He's not going to be president and he knows it. He's just out there trying to take shots at Trump because that's where, like, who is on the debate stage, Dan, that represents the, the, the Lincoln project or any of these other people? No one, no one. Don't talk to me about Nikki Haley. Don't talk to me about Asa Hutchinson
1: or Mike Penn. I mean, anyway, sorry, go ahead. I
0: apologize. Ahead.
1: Nope. That's, that's, that's the point, right? Is that, when we talk about this, I, I, I guess I just, what drives me crazy is still this knee-jerk response. I think, again, it's because it feels good to think it's true that somehow or another, most Republicans are still some sort of reasonable moderates uh, holding on to classical conservative principles and so forth. And there's some minoritarian fringe out there, and I just don't believe it. And I'll point to the same thing you do and say, just show me. Show me where that is, if that's how this is, and and how it is that events like this don't follow logically from the mainstream discourse of the the American right.
0: All right, let's take a break. Come back and real quick talk about what's happening up in, in Spokane, and then uh, and then we'll go to Reasons for Hope. Be right back. All right, y'all. So some of you might have heard this, friends in PNW. I know you have, but uh, here's what happened um, a couple of days ago. There is a rally, a worship prayer event in Spokane, Washington. Spokane, I know many of you know this, but I'll just say it for those of you who don't, it was in the, the eastern reaches of Washington state. It, it butts up against Idaho. And Spokane is often a place where you might hear people calling for uh, this part of Washington to join Idaho rather than to stay in sure. a state that's, that whose politics is dominated by a city like Seattle. Uh Nadine Woodward is the mayor in Spokane. And at the moment, Spokane is enduring uh, one of the worst wildfire uh, events in its history. Uh, you've had hundreds of homes burn. You've had people hurt. And uh, it's not a good situation. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Uh, now, Nadine Woodward gets on the stage of the other day at, uh, at this prayer rally. And guess who's leading that prayer rally? Sean Foyt. Okay. So Sean Foyt is a notorious Christian nationalist. He's somebody who has said on the record, he thinks only Christians should be in charge, that he is fighting for a United States where Christians have control of the government. They are implementing the policies. He has flouted all COVID uh, regulations, shown up at the Capitol uh, in D.C. many times to lead these worship rallies. I mean, he is, and I don't think I have to tell anybody, but if you don't believe me, go listen to Charismatic Revival Fury. It is on our feed. You can search for it at straightwhiteamericanjesus.com. We did whole episodes with Dr. Matt Taylor. And these episodes are some of the best. I'm not, I'm just not going to back off from this. There's some of the best content out there when it comes to explaining to you who Sean Foyt is and how he became what he is. He's an extremist. He's a Christian nationalist. So Nadine Woodward, right? I just want to make clear, there's no way not to know that Sean Foyt was leading this prayer round. So that our worship rally, whatever it was called. But when she gets on stage, she's doing so to supposedly pray for Spokane and for the region. And the, the one who's leading that prayer is Matt Shea. Now, if you've read my book, or if you've listened to uh, this show in depth, or if you follow Idaho politics, Eastern Washington politics, if you live in the PNW, you will know that Matt Shea is a former state legislator <clears throat> who's, who was one of the most extremist politicians we had in the country. I, and I don't say that lightly, Dan. I'm not saying that just to kind of castigate the GOP. Uh, Matt Shea supported Eamon Bundy in 2016 in the Wildlife Preserve standoff. Uh, He has extremist views on abortion. But how did Matt Shea lose his seat in the Washington uh, state legislature? It was when it was discovered he had a Biblical Warfare Manifesto that among other things said that the plan should be to kill all males who do not succumb to the Christian regime that he envisions as the ideal state for the country. So even for Spokane, this was too radical and he lost the seat. Then he became a pastor and he is still a prominent figure, prominent enough that when Sean Foyt went to Spokane, Matt Shea was on stage with him. So here is the the mayor of Spokane appearing with these guys. Now, after she did it, extreme backlash and she has tried to back off. So she has said things like, I didn't know Machet would be there. I didn't realize that it was Matt Shea who'd be leading the prayer. I don't condemn, I don't condone his uh, politics. I was there to pray for my uh, region. A friend invited me. I decided to go, <laughs> right? You knew Sean Foyt was leading. That's one. According to Matt Shea and others, you had been invited to this thing for months. And I just think, I, you know, there's no way for you not to have known. You're the mayor you have a responsibility to know who you're getting on stage with. And one of the things, Dan, and I'll just close with this because we really are out of time. The last line of the prayer was that she, the leader, the mayor, this is Mashe talking now, would be able to laugh during times of uh, hardship or tragedy. Meaning as Spokane burns in terms of the wildfires, that she would be able to laugh and have joy. No, I don't want to take joy from anyone, and we all need to find ways to be uh, somewhat, uh, you know, resilient and to find levity in times that are difficult. I understand that, but it, that just felt like a huge slap in the face to a whole city that is facing one of its worst climate change crises. So. Any quick thoughts on this before we go to read? Just real
1: quick, you know, because you're right, it's it's scripted by this point. Somebody shows up, you've got a bunch of crazy people up on stage, there's a backlash, and they're like, oh, I didn't know who they were. I didn't know that they would be there when anybody could have, you know, just done five minute Google searches and found this out. What I would invite people to think about is what if the reason this keeps happening is because for people uh, like Woodward, it just doesn't seem like a big deal. Like they really, honest to goodness, don't believe or recognize or know how extreme and how radical the ideas are. They are so normalized to them, and within the circles, and we we all know the echo chamber that social media can be, and all of us can like live in these spaces where we just kind of have our own views reflected back to us all the time. So it comes to be seen as so normal and so mundane and so whatever that you can get on stage with somebody who, as you say, uh, in a manifesto fantasizes about let's call it the murder of all like you know non-christian men or whatever and be able to shrug it off and be like that's really no big deal until suddenly you have this reality check when everybody outside of that tells you how crazy it is i think that's the part that's most disturbing to me is that this happens over and over and over and i really think it's because within this kind of ecosystem on the right there's no recognition that these are extreme positions and we brings us back to the debates, calling for, you know, dismantling the Department of Education, calling for labeling all LGBTQ plus people, pedophiles and, and groomers and so forth, that these have become mainstream ideas that are so normalized within the right that I think there is shock on their part when they have these, these reality checks and have to realize that most Americans don't think what they do, which is why you don't listen don't, to most Americans if you're them.
0: No, you, you don't. And I don't, You know, let's just be clear. Here's a closing thought for today. I don't believe in trickle down economics. Uh, I don't believe that capitalism works in a way that when you give the CEOs and the executives all the money, that they're like, you know what we should do? Should we take a salary that means I make 500 times more than my lowest paid employee? Uh, Nah, I'm not going to do that. No way. I'm going to shove these profits down the pipeline. Reward these great folks. Does that happen? It doesn't. And that's there's. We could talk from 1980 when Reagan got in to right now and I can show you all the receipts from how wages have stagnated, home prices have gone through the roof compared to income levels and uh, college and everything else is way out of control in terms of price. I do believe in trickle-down extremism. When you normalize radical ideas, guess what? You get 27-year-old men who are on the fringes of society who take up your rhetoric and they shoot store owners. You also get mayors of cities like Spokane, mid-sized cities in this country who show up on stage with extremists who fantasize about killing all non-Christian men, and Sean Foyt. It's like a joke. Hey, she got on stage with an extremist, a Christian nationalist, and Sean Foyt. Sean Foyt's not even the most extreme person on the stage with her. That's what that tells you. All right, Dan, let's go to good reasons for hope. Ring the bell. I'm ringing the bell in my head. I have like a nice transition setting here in my head that's like, ding, 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 yay. There's like, a music playing. It's a small world. All right. So in Maryland this week, uh, judge rules that uh, you cannot opt out of curriculum that includes uh, LGBTQ uh, uh, folks, histories, characters, and so on. Cause guess what, Dan? LGBTQ folks are what? Human beings, part of history, part of American society, part of world society, part of global culture, so opting out of, I don't know, a curriculum that doesn't include them means opting out of, I don't know, studying human culture, human history, human economies, and human life. So
1: that's good news. What's yours? Mine is in Georgia, uh, a number of co-conspirators, indicted co-conspirators starting to turn against Trump, um, The which is of course what the prosecutors wanted. But you keep reading things of people saying, I was doing what Trump told me. I was acting at the hest of the president and so forth. In some cases, this is a way to try to shield themselves from state prosecution. Uh, but I think the bigger thing is that they're starting to form that, that sort of circle where everybody's pointing at Trump in the middle. Um, and I think, that, uh, I think this could be catastrophic for Trump in all of his cases when somebody like a Rudy Giuliani eventually uh, cuts a deal with somebody to just come clean about what went on. So I continue to take hope in, in watching how some of these things unfold. Yeah.
0: All right. Yeah. Um, I saw somebody say Dan on Twitter that uh, Rudy Giuliani is prepared to fight this all the way to the Supreme Courtyard Marriott. Ha, ha,
1: four Seasons joke. Anyway, and they don't even have. All right, a, they don't even have a nightclub there. I don't think. Like it's no Radisson. So, suck it,
0: Rudy. Suck it. You're going to go to the Courtyard Marriott. Guess where I am? I'm at a Radisson with a disco. So let's just figure out who's winning. All right. I shouldn't have said that. I apologize to everybody listening. Okay. Um, Rudy Giuliani, if you're listening, I said that to you. Everyone else, disregard that statement. Okay. Um, as always, find us at Straight White JC. Find me at Bradley Onishi. And uh can always use your help. We do this show three times a week. No outside funding, no university grant, just me and Dan doing our best. So uh, pay, PayPal, Patreon, Venmo. We have a bunch of new patro- uh, patrons, Dan. I want to just say to all of you, thank you. Um, Every every little bit makes us makes it possible for us to keep doing this. So, Absolutely, uh, thank you so much, and uh, we will be back next week with a great interview, and uh, it's in the code and the weekly roundup. But for now, we'll just say as always, thanks for being here. Have a good day. Thanks, Brad.